we are starting in, uh, just a three-week series here called Following Jesus in a Polarized World. And um, usually we go verse by verse through a section of Scripture. And for these next three weeks, this is just your pastor sharing his heart with you. Uh, and this is something I've been thinking about and working on for about six months. So um, it's just, I, I just feel like we're in a, a time and a place where things are so crazy that I'd like to give you a couple handles as a believer in Jesus on how to operate in a world that seems so disconnected and so polarized, right? I mean, I, I know that you probably have an idea of the polarization that's happening among us politically as a country, or, uh, you know, the, the polarization that's happening among us when it comes to, you know, any hot topic that you want to throw out there, you know, uh, I mean, whether or not the Dolphins will be a 500 team, right? Uh, whether, nope, that's not a hot topic, okay. Um, there are all these topics that we're either afraid to enter into or we're essentially dropping bombs in the middle of a room and watching the damage that it does uh, in, in uh, other people. And a lot of this is facilitated, obviously, by social media, but it's even more than that. I feel like there's been a lot of things lately where we've not wanted to enter into conversation with other people because we're afraid of how they're going to receive our beliefs and how they're going to be able to, how we're going to be able to have a conversation that doesn't get to be um, a problem in our relationship, right? Where we don't find ourselves arguing with somebody or creating even more distance between us and them. And it's a, it's a nuanced thing that I'm going to be calling us to be thinking about. Um, but the world around us seems to be getting more and more and more polarized. Um, I, this week I put up on Facebook just for fun. In fact, somebody uh, even commented, are you doing this for a sermon illustration? They sent me an inbox and I was like, yes, I am. Um, I wrote on Facebook, I don't care what you think, I am for mandatory vacations. And what do you think happened to my feed on Facebook? A complete fight broke out. Why? I don't think there's a group of people in our world who hate vacations. Pretty sure there isn't. Pretty sure that the fight broke out because the word vacations was read as vaccinations. Right? It just hit you. I got it. Just, yep. And I, I just threw it out there in the most aggressive way possible. I don't care what you think. I am for mandatory. And boom, everything exploded in the comments. It was either trolls laughing, saying, great job, you really got everybody. Or it was people saying, I read this wrong the first time, and then I reread it, and I feel like an idiot. Um, or it was people immediately starting to post all kinds of links and videos and things to watch and things to know about. And um, just, I just want to put my cards on the table as we're talking about polarizing issues that I'm a libertarian, so I'm here to drive all of you crazy. Just doesn't matter if you're on the left side of the world or the right side of the world, I disagree with you, and I'm here to, to fight with you, okay? <laughs> Which is why I'm preaching on this. I'm preaching as much on this for me as I am for you. Anyways, so immediately fights break out in the comments, uh, and people misread it. And I think like it, it just kind of shows that we're, we're tense, man. Everybody is on edge. Everybody feels like the, the next thing somebody says is going to be the thing that lights the, the, the bomb. right? There's, there's people that feel so passionate about something that they're not willing to let it go. They're not willing to not make the comment. They're not willing to not say their piece. And what it leads to is conversations that, you know, where honestly nobody ever wins. There's never, ever in the history of Facebook 
maybe social media in general, ever been a winner? We all lose. All of us. Every single one of us. You know, my, my brother and I, we, uh, we love to troll. And so we had this game we would play. We've been doing this now for about 10 years. Uh, where he would make a comment. And it would just open the door to conversation about flat earth. Just like a little bit. He would just say something about the round globe or say something about a, a flight he took where he could see the horizon or, or whatever. And immediately I would just throw in a conversation about flat earth. And I would say, well, you don't know anything because the earth is flat. And then we would just sit back and watch everything explode. <laughs> and we've been doing it for like 10 years. And my brother legitimately has friends who think that I'm a flat earther. This is the world we live in. And I want you to know it's not just political issues or cultural issues. That actually the, the spectrum of theology, of faith, is also a very polarized world. There's actually a large divide between churches who are right and left. Like all those issues we are talking about, there's a, a large divide between people who are right and people who are left generally. There's some people who are kind of in the middle feeling like they have nowhere to live, like they're a man without a country, Right? Same thing theologically has been happening, that there's been this large divide, okay, this is just me putting my pastor hat on explaining this, this part of it, that there's a large divide of theology where there is a right side and a left side, and there, what happens is in all of these situations, whether we're talking about stuff culturally or stuff politically or stuff conversations that we're having online or whether we're talking about theology, right, there tends to be a purity test that comes along with any of these positions, where if you don't swallow the entire platform or agenda of whatever the thing is that the people are fighting over, then you're essentially looked at as, right, so they would, they would say like, well, if you don't swallow the entire right agenda, you're left, or if you don't swallow the entire left agenda, you're right, or if you're theological uh, underpinnings, you're having conversations about what is right and what is left, you have, if you don't swallow the entire uh, theological agenda of the right, now you're a heretic. Or if you don't swallow the entire agenda on the left, theologically, you are now somebody who, um, you know, whatever. You're a snowflake or I don't know what they would, no, they would be calling you a Neanderthal, essentially, right? So these two polarized worlds, there's always a purity test. And these purity tests are almost always cultural issues that people want to ask you questions about. And we get these all the time as a church, right? Like, we get all, the two biggest questions that I get asked as a pastor is, are you going to have a building someday? Which, what is my answer to that question? Probably not. I mean, I can't tell you in 10 years if a church walks into our doors and goes, hey, we got a building, here you go, what do you want to do with it? I don't know, maybe. But we love being here in the community center. If you gave me six million bucks and told me to build a building next week, I'd build a community center that was used six days a week that we had on Sundays. Guess what? We already got it, okay? That's the first question I get asked the most. People don't understand the idea of a mobile church in a community center trying to be part of the community. The second question I get asked the most is, uh, what's your stance on gay marriage and do you do gay weddings? That's the next question I get asked the most. The third question that I get asked in the order of, of things is almost always something about Calvinism. And what I want to tell you is, digging yourself in on one side or the other 
is almost never what Jesus did and not what he calls us to do. The, the idea of the sermon today that, that I want to share with you is that we should stop trying to win arguments and start trying to win people. That there is a lot more at stake, a lot more at stake than winning an argument with someone entrenched on one side or the other. That there's actually something else we should be paying attention to that we should be focused on as believers in Jesus that we should be making our lives about. Not about defending the entire platform of one side or the entire platform of the other, but actually focused on a completely different conversation that will allow us to win people and not arguments because no one ever wins. No one's mind has ever been changed on social media. No one has ever walked away from an argument with another person and went, you know, they're totally right, and I'm going to have to change everything about myself. Okay, maybe it's happened once or twice, okay, but it's rare. But you know what does happen in those conversations? There's a lot of people watching, a lot of people on the sidelines, a lot of people in the middle, a lot of people who are paying attention, who know we're believers and watch what we do to other people. I got a lot of people to tell I'm not a flat earther, too. Uh, and those people... They're not winning either, watching that stuff go on. When we're biting each other's heads off, when we're fighting with other people, when we're vigorously arguing in a way that's not good, we're hurting the other people that are around watching what's going on. And we're losing our witness, and we're not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. So I want to take you to 2 Timothy, chapter 2. We're going to be in just three to four verses. Actually, it's six verses in two sections here in 2 Timothy 2. And this passage is Paul writing to Timothy. So they are, you know, Paul, uh, Timothy is the protege of Paul. He's somebody who he's invested his life into. He's helped him become a leader in the church. He was a young man when he took over Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. He was somebody who poured his entire life into it and ran into all kinds of problems. Problems because he was too young. Problems because people didn't give him the respect that he deserved. Problems because he wasn't always assertive enough with the church to really get them on track and keep them on track. So there were issues that were going on in the church where Paul, Timothy was kind of fighting through and Paul was writing him letters. He wrote the first uh, letter to Timothy and this is the second letter to Timothy. He was continuing from afar to give him advice, to help him grow in his leadership, to encourage him to be as strong as he needed to be from a leader's perspective, to keep the church on track, to keep them focused on what was important. As little you know, uh, arguments and quarrels and fights and, squ- and squabbles came up, Paul was there saying, you need to step in and be a leader, and you need to set this straight, and you need to get everybody on the same page, and you need to be moving this thing down the, down the uh, tracks because there's something really important at stake. And so when he comes to this section in the second part, or uh, the second chapter of Second uh, Timothy, he's reminding uh, Timothy to keep his eye on the ball, not to get caught up in the quarreling and the fighting and all the nonsense and all the words and all the, you know, the stuff that's going on in the, in, in the church, but to keep his eye on what's most important. So this is what it says. It's uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. So the first chapter and a half, he's basically said, here's where you're supposed to be as a church. Here's some things that you need to you know, keep your eye on, and he says, keep reminding the people of these things. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about his leadership. He's talking about making sure that everybody's unified and moving in the right direction. Um, and so he says, keep reminding the people of those things, the important things to keep their eyes on. He says, warn them before God, okay, be a strong leader, step up to the plate, 
make a strong case that this is an important thing before God. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Now, as I was reading this and as I was thinking about this and I was processing this, you know, uh, we live in this society that is different than the one our parents grew up in. I'm going to talk as a 40-year-old person. Uh, my parents are actually in the room. Hi, Mom and Dad. Right? Hey, guys. They're visiting. Um, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking, okay. Um, we, we grew up in a world that's different than our parents did. We grew up in a postmodern world and potentially a post-Christian world. Okay? Look, we need to be honest about where we are as a society. In fact, we're, if you ask you know, cultural, the people who study sort of sociological where our, our world is at, they'll actually say we're in a post-postmodern world. They don't even have a name for where we're at yet. And you're like, I don't really know what postmodern is. So let me, let me just kind of break it down for you. One of the things that came about because of the world that we live in is that the idea of truth has been completely eroded. One of the tenets of postmodern thinking and, and postmodern culture, the one that we live in right now, is that all truth is relative. You've probably heard phrases before like, uh, well, that's your, that's your truth. And you're like, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. It's either true or it's not true. Well, in a postmodern world, there is no such thing as truth. And one of the ways that truth was eroded was by the changing of language. Actually, the, the meaning of words was one of the first places that we saw this sort of start to happen and start to work. That the idea that we can't even agree upon what the words in our language mean with other people erodes truth around us. Okay, I know I'm getting into the, like, the, you know, the uh, sociological weeds here, but just focus on this idea that the words that we use don't mean the same thing that the words that were used 50 years ago mean. That sometimes we say things that don't mean the same thing that they meant 50 years ago. That there might have been a common understanding of what people were talking about when they said a sentence then that is now not common. I may say a sentence, you may understand it one way, I may mean it a different way, somebody else may understand it a completely different way. And the idea of truth has been completely eroded in the culture that we live in. Okay, And so when Paul tells Timothy to warn people against quarreling about words, he doesn't even understand how important this idea is. And he's going he's gonna, to uh, juxtapose this with the word, okay, the truth of God's word. But he's basically saying, hey, if all of these quarrels, they're based on the idea that we don't agree upon what these words mean and we don't agree upon a basic truth that underlies everything. That thing is gone. There is no basic truth that now everybody in this world agrees upon. It's completely relative. That's one of the side events of what's basically happened to us as a culture. And so when he says, don't quarrel about words, he might as well be talking straight to us. Hey, don't, don't spend your time fighting with people about stupid stuff that nobody agrees upon. In fact, before we're having a conversation, often we're having to go back and make sure that we are defining the same thing that we're talking about and making sure that we understand the, the context of what we're talking about. Like, you know, and one of those things, I was having a conversation with somebody, and this is a completely hot-button thing, and I'm trying not to steer us into political territory, so please don't. But we were talking about CRT, critical race theory, right? And I was having a conversation with somebody about something completely different than they were thinking about. And we spent half an hour trying to define what critical race theory was before we could even have a conversation about it. Okay? This is what I'm talking about. There are a lot of things out there where we're fighting over stuff and we don't even agree about what we're actually talking about. 
The, the idea that one thing is true for everyone is completely not a part of the culture around us. And it leads us to digging in over here and digging in over here and actually losing track of what we're supposed to be paying attention to. So he says, warn them before God against quarreling about words, and it is of no value and only ruins those who listen. He almost paints a picture that there are people paying attention to the conversations that we're having and listening in to those conversations and you know, making judgments about who we are based on how we are talking about certain things. When, uh, when I was sort of courting my wife at camp, she probably has no idea that I did this, um, I really wanted her attention, I've got to be honest. So I remember I was having this conversation in uh, the dining hall where we were co- congregating as a staff. This was before the campers had gotten there. And we were talking about important topics, you know, as you know, young college students who were there for the summer, we were getting to know each other. And I love to pontificate. It's part of why I'm a preacher. So you're just going to have to deal with it, right? And so I got a chance to start talking about certain issues that I knew would be very important to my, you know, hopeful uh, lady friend. I, I, we started talking about, you know, women in the church, and we started talking about leadership, and we started talking about, you know, what kind of marriages we were hoping to have someday. And so I just made sure, she wasn't in the conversation, but I just made sure to talk loud enough so she could hear all my answers. In fact, I was having a conversation with somebody, and I really wasn't talking to them. I was talking to her, who was over here, right, just loud enough so she could hear all of my answers. Because she probably walked away listening, going, oh, that guy's kind of interesting, right? I wanted her to judge me based on what I was saying and say, I think that guy's interesting and I like him, okay? It sort of worked, I think. Did it work? Okay. (laughs) And, And here's the thing, guys. I want you to know that when we're having conversations, people are listening. They're paying attention. And sometimes we're saying it so loud that everybody can hear, everybody all around us. Right? There's a sort of a digital place now where we are, are, our voices are amplified. And there are a lot of people who you never even know who are paying attention to what you're saying. And what are they thinking? What are they uh, judging you based on how you are talking about certain things and based on how you are communicating your values and the things that are important to you? Right here he says, it is of no value and ruins those who listen. And he says, and then he kind of, switches gears. So he says, don't quarrel about words, which, you know, this has no value and this ruins those who hear. There are people listening and it ruins them and it ruins you and it ruins everything. He says, what you should focus on, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You see how he used the, the word, don't quarrel about words, and then he said, hey, you're not actually supposed to be focused on all this garbage. Turn your focus towards the word of truth. Th- this might be something in our culture that is like maybe more important than anything else because in a world where truth is, just doesn't exist universally, we as Christians believe that God's word is completely true for everyone all the time. And if we're going to spend our time focused on quarreling words, things that are going to divide people, things that are going to turn off people, or we're going to spend our, our, our effort and our, our study on God's word that is true for all of time, for all people, he's saying you've got you to switch your focus from being all in all this where there's just a bunch of people spouting off and it's just like dropping a bomb in a room and watching the damage happen 
to getting out of that conversation and focusing on the word of truth, God's word, which is eternal, which is true, which is true for everyone, which is true for all time, which is true for every person all time. It's like, get out of the conversations that lead to no value, that ruin the people that listen, and do your best to present yourself, not to the people who are paying attention, but to the God who you serve, and focus on his word, which is the eternal truth that everything is built upon. Do you know that people who are living in a world where nothing is true and everything is, you know, based on whatever your, the relative nature of each person, to actually be able to share with them something that's true for all people for all time is a complete breakthrough in somebody's life. They go, I live in a world where everything was, was shaky, everything was, you know, just kind of up and down, and there was no sort of thing that everything was based on, and then I found God's word, and now there is a place that I can build my life on. When Jesus talks about building your life on the rock, right? Building your life on the rock. The rock is Christ. Christ is called the word in the Bible. So Jesus and the word are the thing that people are looking for. It's the truth that is true no matter what, even in a postmodern or a post-postmodern world. He says, so present yourself to God, not to the people around you, as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene among them are, and he mentions two guys, and the issues with these two guys is that they were teaching something that was uh, not true. So they were actually taking a false doctrine and they were teaching it within the church and then they were arguing over the words that were being used in their teaching. And so Paul is basically calling these guys out and he's saying what they're teaching is not based on God's word, and it is spreading like gangrene. And I don't really know a lot about gangrene. Maybe you've had gangrene before. I hope not. But it's something that essentially starts small and then eventually takes over your whole bloodstream and your whole body. That it's something that seems like not a big deal, but because it's off of the word of God, it's something that's not uh, you know, solidly placed on the word of God. It's something that can in- insidiously make its way into the church and infect the entire, entire church. And he says, avoid the godless chatter, because it will become more and more ungodly. And these people, their, their uh, teachings will spread like gangrene. And one of the things that I've seen the most in people who have been trying to sort of, uh, and I'll, I'll use the word liberal, but sort of the left end of theology, what they want to do is argue about what all the words mean. They want to say, well, this doesn't mean this, and this doesn't mean this, and this doesn't mean this. And they want to do gymnastics. And they want to be able to move and change all the, the meaning of all of these passages and all of these words so that they can line up with a cultural identity that they've already built for themselves. And what I see happening on the right-hand side is someone who is just essentially looking at the words that are in front of them and not really putting them into context, not really allowing the original languages to speak about the meaning of these words, who are plainly reading the Bible and then creating a a really strong, firm line that can't be broken. It's a purity test that either you're in or you're out, and if you don't believe exactly what we believe, you're out. And neither of those things are really accurate. Right? That God has called us to interpret his word in the best way possible, and if we're not sure how to interpret his word, we look at the life of Jesus and we say, can we see this doctrine in the life of Jesus? Because this is the, life, this is the doctrine being perfectly lived out for us 
And it's the standard that we need to uh, hold on to. And so there are times when people are teaching something that is unbiblical that we need to call out and come against. But for the most part, we're supposed to be handling God's word and being approved by God, doing it for him, not for the people around us, making sure that we're digging into his word and building our life on his word. I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 22. He says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Right? He talks about, essentially here, immaturity. And he says, Flee the evil desires of immaturity and pursue righteousness. Right? Handling God's word in a righteous way. Faith. Stepping out and doing what God has called us to do. Love. Right? The way that we treat other people and how we apply God's word to the world around us. And peace, the thing that we're trying to create when we are sharing God's word with, with other people. And he says, along with those who call on the, the Lord out of a pure heart. Hopefully your community is doing the same thing. Your small group is doing the same thing. The people that you're connected with are doing the same thing. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. Same thing as before. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but, and here's where he shifts and tells us what we're actually supposed to be doing. Again, we're, we're handling God's word with, you know, uh, being approved as a workman in his eyes, but also here's how we act, right? So we don't want to be quarrelsome, but he says we must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And so when you're in a conversation with a person and it's going in a direction you don't want to go and you're feeling that conflict, you need to step back and ask yourself the question, am I being kind to this person? Am I able to teach? Meaning, do I understand this from everybody's perspective? Do I understand this issue from this person's perspective that I'm talking to? Do I understand it? I know what the perspective I have is. Do I understand what the, the multiple ways of looking at this is? And then am I able to teach them why I've chosen the way that I've chosen to believe? Right? And then he says, uh, not resentful. If you find yourself at the end of a conversation with somebody, being resentful of who they are, which is a terrible place to be, or their viewpoint, or making an entire group of people, right, turning them into some sort of a, a straw man or a caricature of what you think they all are, then you are finding yourself in the wrong. Because we're not supposed to be resentful. We're supposed to be loving and kind and able to teach and thoughtful about what we say. And you're like, but how do we do that? So I just want to share with you from a pastor's perspective some of the times, the conversations that I have that allow me to try to work this out. And it's, it's not easy. Sometimes we have to avoid the conversation altogether if we're not able to be able to do these things. But if we are, here's some of the ways that I do this. And I'm just going to give you some advice. One of the ways that I talk about controversial topics with people when they are really dying to talk to me about them or want to know the Bible's perspective is I explain to them ahead of time I'm very interested in understanding their perspective. What I'm not trying to do is to control anybody or be defensive. So when you're having a conversation with somebody, step back and say, am I able to keep my, uh, my calmness and the peace that I have in this conversation? Am I able to listen to this person and hear what they're saying? And, and here's the thing. You want to get to the underlying reason about why people are feeling the way they're feeling. Right? So you have somebody come into your office and they're very, they're very passionate about the fact that the Dolphins will go to the Super Bowl. Okay? I'm just going to pick a completely apolitical topic. Uh, you know they're crazy. You don't agree with them. You know two is going to get hurt in the second game of the season and that's going to be it. 
Guys, this is really, really close to my heart, okay? (laughs) But you start the conversation. What I want to know when I'm talking to somebody about something they're passionate about that I disagree with them on is not that I want them to understand my perspective. What I want to understand is why they are so passionate about that topic. Just think about this for a second. So I ask questions. Right? I don't try to control or manipulate or tell them they're wrong or fix their thinking or change the way that they think. I want to know why, why they're, why they're passionate about that. Um, I, I am going to get a little bit political here for a second, but I had some conversations with people that I might disagree with on, for instance, vaccines. Okay, you're like rolling your eyes. Okay, here he goes. But the conversations um, weren't me trying to win them over. It was me trying to understand this person who's standing in front of me. And some of the conversations would go to, well, why are you so passionate about this? And you know what I heard? All kinds of things that were based in real fears that people had. Right? I talked to one, one mom who says, you know, I'm breastfeeding, and I'm just not going to ever take a chance. I don't know, and I'm not sure, and I'm not going to do it. But really what she was telling me was that the, the value of protecting her babies was actually overriding anything I could have told her in that moment, right? Talked to somebody who had a health condition that was pretty severe, and they were worried about what it was going to do to them. And really, again, the conversation went to, I'm not sure what this will do to my important health. I was in the hospital last year, and I don't want to go back to the hospital. If this would cause any of that in my life, I'm not doing it. You know, talked to, to somebody else, and this one really crushed me as a pastor. They said, you know, at some point in my life, I was, I was violated by someone else. And I will never let someone else control what goes into my body. You, you get off of arguing about the semantics or whatever the conversation was, and you start focusing on the hurt and the pain of, that's behind it with the person that you're talking to. Like, if we're going to be believers who are going to share the gospel with people, we need credibility in people's lives. And the way that we get credibility is for people to know that we care about them as a person. Not for us to win them in that argument, but for us to understand what is driving them in their decision that they're making. Is to ask, what's the underlying thing that's driving you to be like this? I don't necessarily agree with you. It's okay. I know you don't agree with me. That's fine. But what is really driving you as a person? Let me understand who you are. Let me pray for you in that place. Let me step into that place and carry some of the load there. Let me be a safe person for you to be able to share things with and understand that I have your back. Like we got to move off of trying to win arguments and try to start winning people. Because if we are there trying to argue people into our way of thinking, then when we start talking about Jesus, it's another argument that we're trying to win. You know what Jesus doesn't want? Us to argue anybody into the kingdom, ever. No one's ever been argued into the kingdom. People have experienced Christ through other people. They've experienced Christ through his word. They've experienced Christ through his presence. And they've chosen to follow Jesus, not through an argument or not through winning, but through someone caring about them and sharing with them what Christ has meant to them. Sorry to get political with you guys. He says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind, able to teach, not resentful, 
Opponents must be harshly instructed. No. Gently instructed. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I just want to read that last part again because this is what is at stake. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Here's what's at stake, guys. We could win the political or cultural argument, maybe. Maybe score some points. Or we can love and teach and care for people into the kingdom. What Paul lays out here is, hey, Timothy, you shouldn't quarrel with people or argue with them or create stupid arguments or get into godless chatter or use words that aren't important or get into conversations that don't mean anything because there are a bunch of people who are trapped in their sin who don't know Jesus and your eye is on the wrong thing to begin with. Your eye needs to be on that person and their eternity and their relationship with God, inviting them into that relationship through your presence. That you were called to be an evangelist to people, not to win arguments. In fact, you can't win them. No one wins. But we can love people into the kingdom. We can care for. We can hear. We can listen to people. We can meet them one-on-one and have a conversation with them about why Christ is so important to us and what he could mean to them in their lives. We can do those things. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, Don't lose sight of what is important. What is important is the kingdom of God and lost people who are separated from him and people who don't know who are trapped in their their sin. That's the focus that we're called to have as believers. And if if you feel like I'm uh, pointing you out in this sermon, that's your problem. Maybe you got a problem here. I didn't write this with anybody in mind except for myself. (laughs) But I mean, What are we focused on? I mean, I want to ask you the question, who are you sharing Jesus with? If you don't have an answer to that question, who you are personally sharing Jesus with, can our focus really be on what it's supposed to be on? Can we really be saying we're doing what God has called us to do if we're not even in a relationship or in a conversation or caring for or sharing this with anybody who's lost? And I know... We go to work every day. We work around people who are lost. We have, in our neighborhoods, people are lost. In our families, even people are lost. We, we're called to be sharing the gospel with people and keeping our eye on this conversation, on this relationship, not on quarreling, on words, on stupid arguments, on godless chatter, all the things that are talked about here. We're called to keep our eyes on what Jesus has called us to do. So before you say something, ask yourself, who is watching anonymously? Right? Ask yourself, am I even right? Or am I letting my confirmation bias, the thing that I Googled on the internet, to guide me to a place where some other idiot online has agreed with my really stupid idea? That's a thing. Is there any hope that this will produce any 
fruit? Is this even worth fighting for or having a conversation over or getting into an argument with someone about? What venue is this conversation appropriate for? Is it designed for public domain or is it designed to be had at a a table across the way where we're sharing coffee with two people? Am I saying this so that everyone else will hear or am I actually talking to the person who's in front of me? And if you're going to quarrel, do the due diligence of actually understanding every side and doing it gently in the right context. Right? This is a conversation where you see it going somewhere on social media and you invite somebody out for coffee if you want to talk about it. And all of that should be secondary to sharing the gospel through our lives in relationship with other people. That is what we are called to do. You know, it is sometimes fun to banter about with other people who you know where they're at and you understand and you're poking fun at them and you're having a great time and it's part of your relationship with them. I have plenty of people like that in my life. I'm not worried about their salvation. But there are times when I can't do that because I am worried about the other people around me, their salvation. And so are we serving what God has called us to serve and letting all those other things be a secondary issue for us as believers? That is my challenge to you today. My biggest challenge is who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you loving into the kingdom through relationship? My my second request of you would be to think about the context and who else is listening to the conversations that you're having and whether those things are filled with love with a teachable spirit, with um, a non-resentful spirit, with uh, someone who's able to gently instruct, hoping that someone will be freed from the sin that they are in. That is what Jesus is calling us to do. So we're going to continue this conversation on in a, a lighter tone next week, just so you know. You could, you could relax a little bit. But I just want to challenge us, the gospel. We're going to be launching our fall uh, sort of time frame is a big time frame in the lives of a lot of Minnesotans. We get back to our schedules. We get back to getting into church. And when we invite somebody to church, the two times that people are most likely to come, you might think are Christmas and Easter, but you'd be wrong. The most likely time for someone to come is actually in the fall when they're getting into new rhythms. So inviting somebody to come with you to church is actually like a pretty easy thing to do in the fall. They're getting their kids into school. They're getting back into things. They're home. They're not away. They're kind of restarting a lot of these rhythms in their lives, and you go, hey, you want to throw church on there? You know what, you want to give me, you want to come with me sometime to go with? They say yes, they do. They really say yes. And the second most uh, important time of inviting somebody throughout the year is at Easter. Because for whatever reason, Minnesotans, they love Easter. That's their time. That's their jam. That's what they want to do. And Christmas is like, people sometimes say yes, but it's not as good as those other two. So what I'm asking for you to do is be sharing the gospel with somebody and be inviting somebody to come and be part of what we're doing. I feel like when they come and be part of a community, they're going to see Jesus even more through you and through this community. So that is my request of you as we finish up our sermon here today. Let me, let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, I pray that this, uh, this church and these believers would be um, a city on a hill as you as you laid out, uh, salt in this world, that we would bring about conversations about your kingdom, about who you are, about how you love them, 
We wouldn't find ourselves in worthless, godless chatter. We wouldn't find ourselves quarreling or squabbling with people that we, we know are lost. God, that we would be focused on sharing our lives and sharing our relationship with you with other people through relationships that you've given us. I pray even now as people are, are thinking about who they're connected to, who in their lives needs to know the gospel, who they're, they're uh, wanting to share the gospel with, that they begin to pray for those people. You begin to give them a heart for those people. You begin to draw those people into relationship with you. And God, we pray that we would just continue as a church and as individuals to be effective at reaching new and lost people. God, as, as we go out and ask people to join us this fall, God, would you just fill this place up with lost people so we can share your gospel with them. We pray that we'd be focused on, on that reality, on enlarging your kingdom, on being obedient to you, and God, on focusing on what we're supposed to be paying attention to and not getting caught in the weeds of all of these useless arguments. In Jesus' name, amen.